Good morning, Watermark. Um, today, the scripture reading comes from the book of Ephesians, chapter 3. Uh, you can follow along on your own Bible or the screen here. Starting in verse 14, we read, For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirits in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, the length, the height, and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of God. Great. Thank you so much, Soda. Let's pray together as we come and look at this passage. Oh, Lord Jesus, this is an amazing, amazing passage of Scripture, and we thank you so much that you've included it in your Scripture, and your Word to us. God, I pray, won't you open the eyes of our hearts to see and to comprehend and to understand this, God? Help me to make it clear, but God, won't you take the words of Scripture and write them deeply in our hearts. Lord, I pray that we will leave uh, church this morning with just a deep conviction and assurance of what it means to be your church and to be your people, what it means to be anchored and grounded in your love. Christ, come and have your way this morning, we pray. In your wonderful name, amen. Uh, If we were to take stock of our prayers, I wonder what our prayers would say about us. You know, you you pray for the things that are most important to you, most pressing on your heart. We pray for our children. We pray for that job interview that's coming up. We pray for our careers. Our prayers reveal what is most important to us. Our lack of prayers reveal a lot about us as well. Well, in this passage today, we get a deep view into the prayer life and the prayer journal of the Apostle Paul. uh, Paul opens up his journal and he lets us see into what are the things that he's praying about. Remember, Paul's in prison here. If you've uh, looked back at uh, chapter 3, verse 1, he says, Therefore I, Paul, a prisoner for your sake. Paul's in prison. If you and I were in prison, I wonder what our prayers would look like. I can tell you what my prayers would be. God, get me out of here. Make some plan. Uh, Send an angel like you did with Peter, right? It's about time. I've been in here long enough. Let's get going. God, now's a good time to do one of those miracles. Well, Paul's in prison and he prays. And look what he prays. He says here, for this reason, I bow on my knees before the Father. And what is the reason? Well, it's you've been on this journey with us through Ephesians, Paul's been saying some pretty remarkable things. He's been revealing God's cosmic plan for the whole of creation, this grand teleos to unite all things in creation under Christ. And he's doing this through the church, amazingly. 
the church has got this instrumental role and part to play in God's cosmic plan for all creation. God's plan for those of us that are Christians isn't just to say a quick prayer, to not go to hell and, and try and be good people. No, He's working all things to unite things under Christ. And this happens through the church as the gospel is proclaimed, as the gospel gets into our heart. God is forming a new humanity, a new people called the church, a foretaste of what heaven's going to be like, a picture of heaven on earth called the church. And through this church, He is working His cosmic plan. Mark Ross, a uh, pastor, put it like this. He said, Paul's great concern is that the church manifest and display the glory of God, thus vindicating God's character against all the slander of demonic realms, the slander that God is not worthy living for. God has entrusted to his church the glory of his name. I mean, that's a remarkable thing. Remember, we heard two weeks ago, Neil said that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God is being made known to rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. So demons and can, can, can accuse God of all sorts of things. God, you think you're so good. You, you, you talk about your gospel. What has your gospel really achieved? And God can look at the church and say, see that group of people, diverse, different cultures, different backgrounds. See how they forgive one another. See how they love one another. See how I'm changing them. The church is a proclamation, a vindication of God's glory. And so Paul writes, for this reason, because when you hear that, you can think, oh my goodness, that, that's a little overwhelming. I mean, who is worthy of such a task of that? that? That you and your life should be an instrumental part of God's cosmic plan. And so Paul says, what does Paul do in light of this? He gets on his knees and he prays. He says, in light of this, if we as a church are to be anything like what God is calling us to be, we need to pray. And so he gets on his knees. He says, for this reason, I bow my knees. John Stott says that in Scripture, very few people get on their knees to pray. They only get on their knees in desperate situations. In, in the synagogue, most men would stand praying uh, some people would, would sit down to pray. Very few people in Scripture get on their knees. They do so in desperate situations. And Paul here, he's almost, he's earnest. He's pleading with God. Because if God doesn't answer this prayer, there is no way that the church can be anything like what God calls it to be. And so Paul prays. And what does he pray? Well, when you look at this prayer, there are three sections. It's broken up by the word that. He says, I get on my knees and ask the Father that verse 16, that according to his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit. Verse 17b, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. And verse 19, that you may be filled with the fullness of God. Okay, so three things. And we're going to look at them in reverse. We're going to start at the last one because I think the uh, flow of thought is better. So uh, let's see what Paul prays. He says, firstly, that we will grow into spiritual maturity. Verse 19, Paul says, I get on my knees before the Father, and I pray that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now that's a strange sentence, right? What on earth does that mean? I pray that you'll be filled with all the fullness of God. 
Well, my Greek professor, by the name of Niels van der Kastela, uh, tells me that um, the ESV translation, which is what we use, is actually not the best one. That word with is actually better translated to. Almost nowhere in the New Testament is translated with. In other words, I pray that you be filled to or unto or until you get to the fullness of God. Okay, well, what does that mean? I mean, that's still pretty hard. Well, if you've got one of these um, uh, Ephesians booklets, turn over the page to, to next week's passage and look at verse 13. He says the same thing. He says, uh, leaders have been given to equip the saints, verse 13, until we attain to the unity of the faith, the knowledge of God, to mature ha- manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. It's almost the same sentence. He's saying that, I pray that you will grow into maturity till you become the people that you call to be. So Claire and I have got two daughters, age 8 and 10, and uh, even at this age, we can start to see their personalities. If, if you know them, you'll, you'll know Sierra likes to be in charge of everything, right? Um, <laughs> she loves to be the center of the room and uh, calling all the shots, and she sometimes, you know, uh, thinks she's an adult. And we've got a reminder, okay, you're only 10. That's her personality. Shiloh likes to just retreat in the corner. She doesn't like to be sent to retention, but she'll just cuddle up to someone and make good friends that way. These diverse personalities. And often I will say to my girls, I'm so excited to see the woman that God's calling you to be. I'm excited to see your personality grow, to you grow to the fullness of the person that you're called to be. At this stage, we can see their personalities, but they're not fully mature yet. They've still got some growing to do. Well, that's what Paul prays. He looks at this church in Ephesus and he says, you're not who God has called you to be yet, but I pray that God is going to mature you and grow you so that you can attain the fullness of what God has called you to be. He, Paul sits in his prison cell and he's praying for these guys to mature. He's got this grand vision for the church, but it's not automatic. It's not just attend church once a week, go to CG, and that will happen. It's not just plug and play. No, the Christians grow in a process, and this is his prayer. If you've recently become a Christian, you may think, okay, I've become a Christian, I go to church, I go to CG, I try not to swear or you know, do bad things, and, and, and that's the end of the plan. Actually, you're, you're maybe like a child, two or three, maybe five years old, and God has got a plan for you to grow into the fullness of maturity that God has planned for you. And how does he describe this? He says, the fullness of God or the fullness of the stature of Christ. In other words, what does spiritual maturity look like? Does it look like getting super involved in church? So Monday night you're at prayer meeting and Tuesday night you're in CG and Wednesday night you're at this course and Thursday night you're... No, no, that's not what it means. What does spiritual maturity look like? It looks like becoming more like Christ. Becoming more like God Himself. That's what He means when He says to grow into the fullness of God Himself. That we would become holy like God is holy. That we would become gracious like God is gracious. That we would become compassionate and tender and forgiving and pure and holy like Him. Like most parents, Claire and I have got great hopes for our children. And our, you know, when our girls were born, we didn't just think, okay, 
We, our job is just to make sure that we feed them, give them education, and hope, sure, and hope that they don't stuff up before they're 20, right? Okay, that's like the lowest bar. That's the bare minimum, right? As parents, you hope for more than that for your kids. No, no, our prayer is that our girls will grow to be mature, contributing members of society, that they will fear God and love God and love people, that they'll have heart for others and compassionate, that they'll be responsible contributors, walk with wisdom in the world. And it's the same. Paul says, he looks at the church and says, I pray that I know what you are now, but, I, but this is God's plan for you, to be part of God's plan for the world. And I pray that you will grow to spiritual maturity. Okay, so that's the first part of, of Paul's prayer. But look at the second thing he says. He says in verse 17, I pray, get on my knees, and I pray that you being rooted and grounded in love. Paul prays for this church community, and it's such a great picture or image, isn't it? I mean, think of these massive old trees, like a hundred-year-old tree, or these ginormous redwoods. What makes them strong? It's not the size of the trunk, it's their root system, right? What, what makes them withstand typhoons and storms and all sorts of other things? It's their profound root system. Or think of these great big buildings in Hong Kong, right? One of the amazing things that I love about the buildings of Hong Kong, if you've had a building site go up next door to you, it feels like for years they're not doing anything, they're just drilling, right? You just hear drilling for years and years and years, and nobody's building anything. And then suddenly one day they start building, and the building just shoots up. It's amazing how quickly it goes up. But the reason is for years they are laboring at this foundation, why? Because that's the strength, the stability of the building. Well, look what Paul says there. He uses these two images of deep roots and firm foundations. And he says, I pray you'll be rooted and grounded, firm foundations in love. Now, whose love is he talking about here? Is Paul saying our love for one another? So I pray that, Watermark, you as a church will be overflowing with love for one another. Well, that's true, that Paul does want that. Okay, we meant to be a foretaste of heaven, but that's not what he's saying. He's saying, I pray that you will be rooted and grounded, firmly established in Christ's love. In Christ's love, let, let this be the bedrock foundation of this church. Yeah, the church isn't perfect. Okay, we are made up of 100% sinners. We, we are, we, we're not perfect. We're going to have mistakes. We're going to misunderstand and hurt each other. We're going to say silly things from time to time. Yeah, our hearts will be selfish. But I pray the bedrock foundation of this church is not how good looking you are. Okay, that, that would be disastrous, right? It's not how good your musicians are. It's not how eloquent a speaker the leaders are. Not how wonderful your building is. Good thing Paul doesn't pray that how good the coffee would be because we don't have coffee. That would be disastrous, right, if that was the foundation. Now I pray the bedrock foundation of this church, the thing that keeps you together, the thing that's going to allow you to weather the storms and the typhoons and COVID-19 and all sorts of other things, is Christ's profound love for sinners like us. That you, being rooted and grounded in love, then he says, verse 18, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints, what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. And so what is it about Christ's love that he wants us to know? 
Well, the point here is to know the immensity of it, the, the all-encompassing, all-sufficient nature of it. John Stott says, the fact that God's love is so broad, it encompasses all sorts of people. Chinese, Indonesians, Filipinos, Africans, Indians, Americans, all sorts of people. The, the smartest in the room and the least smartest, the most aged and Chloe, right? That God's love is so broad, there is nobody that is beyond its reach. That God's love, Christ's love, is so long it can reach for all eternity, never-ending, forever and ever and ever, God's people will dwell in His love. It is so deep, it is able to reach to the bottom despairs of life. Friends, some of us feel deeply despairing of life. You feel like you're on the deepest pit, and you wonder how you're ever going to get out. Christ's love is able to reach you and minister to you there. Christ's love is able to reach into the lowest of sinners, the worst of sinners in the world. Friends, maybe you feel like the things that I have done, nobody can forgive me. No, that's not true. Christ can forgive you. Christ loves even the worst of sinners. Christ's love is so high that it can take the worst of sinners like me and you and raise us up with Christ, and seat us with Christ in the heavenly places for all eternity. The breath, Paul's point here is that Christ's love is so all-encompassing, so vast, all-sufficient, it is able to cover every person, every scenario, every situation, every problem, every fear, every objection to His love, including how much you love yourself. You may feel like, okay, I know Christ loves those people, but but surely not me. No, no, Christ's love is sufficient for you. Do you remember what Paul writes in Romans 5 verse 8? God showed His love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, while we were His enemies, while we were shaking our fists at God and rebels, Christ went to the cross and said, I love them this much. And friends, the basis of God's love for you is because Christ loves you not, depend, not because of what's in your heart or in your life, but what's in His heart and His life. See, if Christ's love was, for me was based on, on my condition or my faithfulness, man, it would go up and down, right? But if it's based on, what, on His heart, His heart is steadfast. And friends, I know that many of us struggle to receive and comprehend Christ's love for us. Sometimes it feels like it's just too good for it, uh, to be true, right? Or maybe you grew up in a home that was devoid of much love. Maybe you grew up in a home where our parents' love for us was conditional, conditional on our grades, conditional on how well we did or how well we behaved. Or maybe just conditional on how well our parents were doing. Maybe it was conditional on how well our parents' business was doing. So when business was going well, yeah, they were good. But when it wasn't, actually they withdrew their love. Friends, some of us grew up in homes that were very fractious. You're always walking on eggshells, never sure when mom or dad are going to explode. Maybe you grew up in a home where you were blamed for everything or accused for everything. And many of us instinctively feel in our 
in our hearts that God's love for us must be the same. Yes, we've heard the sermons, we've read the Bible verse, but, but, but surely God's love is the same. And the functional reality of our hearts is that we don't truly believe it or receive it. And the consequence is that our relationship with God is very anemic. It's very weak. Because we can never really open up our hearts and say, Christ, have your way in my life. Because what happens if he's going to take advantage of you? What happens if he's just going to point his finger in your face once again, like everyone else has? And that's why God puts this in the Bible. Because we'll never grow into maturity. We'll never be the church God's called us to be unless we are deeply rooted and anchored in the gospel or Christ's love for us. And, that, and Christ's love requires more than just cognitive understanding. It requires our hearts to grasp it. And that's why Paul prays. Look what he says in verse 19. There's an amazing line here. He says, I pray that you will know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. And that's interesting. How do you know something that is unknowable? I and mean, that doesn't make sense, right? But Paul's point here is that you, can, you might not understand in your head. You can read all the books, but you, you might not get it. But in your heart, he wants us to have the conviction, the deep-rooted, anchored conviction that come what may, there is a God in heaven. His name is Jesus, and his love is an anchor for your soul. A love that transcends all understanding. He wants them and us to experientially know what we cannot explain with words, Christ's love. Now, briefly, how do we grow in knowing Christ's love? How, how do we know this? Well, a couple of things. First thing is this. You look at the cross. You look at the cross, right? Romans 5. When we were God's enemies, Christ died for us. We, we look to Jesus, what he's done on the cross. Robert Murray McShane, one of my favorite quotes, for every one look at yourself, take ten looks at Christ. He is altogether lovely, altogether tender, altogether beautiful. You look at what Jesus did on the cross. But secondly, look here, you stay in community. Because look at what Paul says in verse 18. I pray that you may have strength to comprehend, and then look at the next four words, together with all the saints, the breadth, length, height, depth of Christ's love. Do you know what that means? It means it's almost impossible to know the love of God deeply apart from Christian community. It means you, know, you need the whole people of God to know the whole love of God. And so Christian community is a vital way to know God's love, the breadth and length and height and depth of it. But then there's a third way we know it, and that is to do what Paul does, and that's to pray for it. To get on our knees and say, God, we need you, Holy Spirit. Romans 5 verse 5 says, um, the love of God is poured into our hearts via the Holy Spirit, by the Holy Spirit. And so we, we pray, God, we need you. And that leads us to the third part of Paul's prayer, which is this, to be empowered by the Spirit. Look what Paul says here. I think it's verse 14. He says, for this reason I get on my knees and I pray, the Father from, from whom every church is named, every church is established, Verse um, 16, that he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. That is, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Now, once again, okay, this is one of Paul's long sentences that you need to kind of like, what, what is he actually saying? Think of this high calling that Paul has for the church, right? To be an ambassador for heaven on earth. 
that through the church, God is bringing about this cosmic plan. We are this new humanity, a billboard of His grace. Paul's painted this extremely high view of, of the church and what it means to be a Christian. As we said earlier, it's not just hold on to one day I, I get to heaven. Actually, a Christian is someone who's been delivered from darkness to light, from death to life. You're an agent of His grace. And now Paul gets on his knees and he prays for God's power and God's spirit to be at work in these new believers that God will do something inside of them. And he prays this. I pray that God will grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. You know, the, the Greek word for power there is the word dunamis, dunamis, which is where we get our English word dynamite. This burst of explosion, this burst of energy and power. That's what Paul prays, is that you, me, us Christians, will have this power inside of us, deep in our hearts, that changes us and causes us to be the people he's called us to be. In Colossians 1, Paul prays almost the same thing. He's got almost the same words. Listen to how he says it. Actually, I don't know if it's up there. There it is. He says, I pray that you may be strengthened with power, according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience. And that's what we need, right? Many of us have become Christians recently in the last few months or, or few years. The Christian journey is a marathon. It's not a sprint. Uh, when my dad became a Christian, he was 19 years old, and he was a real mess. He became a Christian at university, and he... Um, he dropped out of university because he got so involved in church life. Like every day he was just at church meetings and he pretty much failed first year university and uh, that was the end of his university uh, because he just became this Christian and he thought it's a sprint. I've got to change the world now, today. No, 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 it's not a sprint. It's a marathon. And what that means, we need endurance. We need steadfastness. We need patience to become the people God's called us to be. The vision of the Christian life, Paul paints, is not something you can do or accomplish on your own. It requires this deep Holy Spirit's power, the resurrected living God inside of us. And as God's Spirit is at work in us, He will do the work that we can't do on our own. You know, I was recently at a, a meeting with a bunch of pastors in Hong Kong. And uh, one of the pastors stood up. He's a, a big guy. And um, he, he, he was very stirring, and he said, I know it's been a, it's a tough time, it's been difficult, but come on, put yourself together. We need some fire in our bones, and we can do this. You've been called here for a reason? Come on, pastors, you, you, you can do it. Get some fire in your bones. That was his, his phrase that he used. And, and I thought to myself, that's not what Paul does. Paul doesn't give this rousing speech and Paul on their emotions and say, come on, toughen up, we can do it. What does Paul do? He gets on his knees and he prays. And he says, God, this church in Ephesus, this young, small church, if they to become the church that you call them to be, they need something that they don't have on their own. They need you to do something inside of them that they can't accomplish on their own. They need your power and they need your strength. And so Paul gets on his knees and he prays. And he says, I pray that God will strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. And then he says the same thing another way. 
that Christ may dwell in your hearts. In John 15, Jesus says, abide in Christ. And here he prays that Christ will abide in them. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, there's this amazing verse. I, I, I forgot to put it on the slide, so you're going to have to listen up. He says this. Paul says, we are afflicted in every way, but we're not crushed. We are perplexed, but we're not driven to despair. We are persecuted, but we're not yet forsaken. We're struck down, but we're not destroyed. So he's talking about the difficulty of the Christian life, right? I mean, he's going through a tough time. Uh, afflicted, perplexed, persecuted, struck down, life is tough. And then he says this amazing thing. He says, but we do not lose heart, though our outer, our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. Isn't that an amazing thing? Says, as you get older in life, your body starts to age, right? I'm not looking at any of you in particular. I'm just going to keep my eyes to myself. As you get older, your body starts to waste away, starts to age. Creaks, aches, you lose your hair, right? But, he says, our inner self gets renewed. And isn't that an amazing thing? Have you ever seen somebody who, the older they get, the more passionate they get, the more gracious they get, the more in love with Christ they get, the more like Christ they become? That's what Paul prays it, that as God by His Spirit, as Christ dwells in our inner being, in our hearts, through His Spirit, He renews us, and He sanctifies us, and He changes us. Friends, this is the kind of prayer that we should pray for Watermark, for our children, for our families. As your children grow up, Vic and Graham, you're going to be dedicating Callum next week. As your children grow up, don't just pray for their teachers and that they get into a good school, that they get a good job. Yes, those things are good. Friends, what we should be praying for our families and for our church is that Christ by His Spirit will indwell our hearts, that His power will be at work in our lives, that we'll be rooted and grounded in the gospel and Christ's love, that we will grow to become mature, that we will become the fullness of God, that when, when the world looks at us and our children, they will see something of Christ that we will grow into maturity and can change. Friends, this is Christ's high calling for us in the church. This is nothing less than what God envisions for us. And for that, we need the Spirit's power. And for that, we need to pray. Now, there's one last part of this verse that we didn't look at. Verse 20 and 21. And that's this. Now, this call to become mature disciples, to be rooted and anchored in God's love, to be filled with God's power and His Spirit. And this vision, how are we going to become these kinds of people? It feels overwhelming. And, 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 and why should God answer our prayer? I mean, maybe you feel like life is hard enough as it is, and now I've just come to church, and now the pastor's just told me to do a whole lot more. And you can feel like, oh my God, just add another weight to my load, pastor. Thank you very much. Well, look at verse 20. Paul prays this. He says, Now to Him, that's God, who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power, the dunamis, the dynamite, and work with this, that is within us, to Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Paul ends this great prayer with a doxology. A doxology is a burst of praise. And... Uh, 
he, he praises God for the fact that God is able to do more than we can do on our own, more than we can imagine. And this verse of verse we love to use when we're facing difficulty, right? God, I've got a job interview tomorrow, but thank God that you are able to do abundantly more than even I could ask or imagine. Or God, I really want my kids to get into that school. Please God, well, you are able to do abundantly more than I can ask or imagine. Um, or God, I know I've committed this crime. Lord, I need the judge to let me off. Please, you can do abundantly more than I could ask or imagine. No, that's not what Paul's saying. He's saying this vision for the church to be heaven on earth, it's impossible. Never going to happen. Unless he who is able to do abundantly more than we are able to ask or imagine by his power and his spirit and work within us can change us and mature us and grow us to become the church that we call to be. And so Paul prays and he gets on his knees and he prays that God will do this. And his confidence is that God is able to do it, but also his confidence that God is committed to do it. Why? Because God is committed to his own glory. He's so committed to his own glory that he's willing to do it. Friends, Paul gets on his knees and he prays that God will impart his power to these believers and touch their lives deeply. That they'll have a deeper experience of his profound love for them. And that as that happens, he will, God will grow them and mature them to the full stature of the measure of God. To him be glory in the church, in our church, in Watermark, in the church in Hong Kong, in Christ Jesus, through all generations, both now and forever. Amen. Let's pray together, and let's ask God to do this in our midst. Friends, this passage tells us God's plan for our lives, and for the church, what God's desire is, let's respond. For some of us, maybe we've been Christians for many years, 20 years, 30 years, but we're still baby Christians. Maybe God wants us to grow and mature. Maybe for many years you've been putting it off. You've been prioritizing other things. You've been putting Christ at the back burner. And today, God wants to change that. He wants you to grow up into the maturity that he's, got, that he's called you to to abide in Christ and to have Christ abide in you. Why don't you come before him and ask him to do that? Why don't you freshly surrender? Friends, for some of us, we need the Spirit's power. We need for Christ to dwell in our hearts. You feel like you're just walking this road on your own. You feel like your Christian journey has maybe been a slog. It's been hard work. And you maybe just want a fresh encounter of the God, the Holy Spirit. God, come and do it, I pray. Friends, for some of us, we need to know the love of Christ. We need to know it with the knowledge that surpasses knowledge, that surpasses understanding. Why don't you ask God to come and do that in your life, in your heart? Why don't you, like Paul, metaphorically, get on your knees? Say, Jesus, I need you. I want you. I want you to come and pour your spirit into my heart. 
strengthen me for the journey with patience and endurance to walk this road. And God, I'm tired of putting you in the back burner, prioritizing other things. Jesus, I want to grow to the fullness of what you've called me to be. I don't want to still be 20 years old and acting like an eight-year-old. I want to be the Christian you've called me to be. Or maybe you want to say, God, I know I've heard about your love, and I know it in theory, but actually I want to know it in my heart. I want to experience it. I want to know the love of Christ. Why don't you ask God to do that in you now? Holy Spirit, come and minister to us, I pray, Lord. Father, I pray that you will pour your spirit upon us, Lord, and in us. Because, God, you'll strengthen us, those that are weary and anxious and heavy laden, those that feel exhausted and worn out. God, pour your dynamic spirit in our hearts and empower us and strengthen us. God, for some of us that have lost hope and we are despairing, Jesus, pour your spirit into our hearts. Carry us and sustain us. God, uh, think of Isaiah 40 where you say even youths will grow weary and, be, and grow tired, but you will carry us. You will raise us up on wings like eagles, God, and carry us. God, by your spirit, do that. God, I pray, pour your spirit into our hearts and open the eyes of our hearts to see the love of Christ. Won't you anchor and root us in the gospel, God? That though we are more sinful and broken and twisted than we can imagine, we are infinitely more loved than we could ever hope to be true, God.